Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I will be your host today on Game Changers. And I'm going to get right into this show by welcoming our guest, Kevin Jans. Kevin is the president of Skyway Acquisition Solutions and the host of the Contracting Officer podcast. Kevin, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I was a contracting officer for the Department of Defense for 16 years. And in that time, I saw a lot of people struggling with the market. They didn't understand a lot of the things that I thought were obvious. And I realized that that people didn't know what they didn't know about the federal market. And so what I ended up doing, I was kind of one of those people who had an entrepreneurial bug and different businesses on the side over the years. And then all of a sudden I realized, here's my big, here's my big idea. I got to execute. And so we did. And in 2012, started Skyway. The idea was a team of former contracting officers helping people understand the overall market. And whether it's targeting or proposal management or understanding how to manage the contracts afterwards, understanding what is a contracting officer thinking when they do certain things, all of that stuff is what we help people with. And, and in that time, it's been a real adventure because I realized that we're now helping contracting officers who listen to our podcast, who they don't have as many mentors because for what are, for lots of different reasons, there aren't as many senior people that, like I was lucky, I had lots of senior people to lean on. And a lot of folks who are listening to the podcast, I think 40% are government folks. And so now it, it turns out that the industry as a whole is craving this perspective. You know, six years after I started this idea, it's really starting to click. And so it's really cool to be on your podcast to help people understand there's so much to learn in the government market. One piece of that is a CO's perspective. And that's what our podcast focuses on is just that little you know, laser focused niche. Yeah. And, and I love how you guys focus on that because I, I think out of all the content that's out there, I think you you guys are probably the only ones doing anything laser focused in this arena. And it's so important. You know, it's what I always tell people is I think most 
industry folks, most salespeople, most business development people either have a love, hate or fear relationship with the contracting <laughs> officer. And, and I'm always hoping that we can eliminate those last two categories there. You know, we can remove some of the hate and fear because they really are just people. They're doing a job function. And, you know, once you really start to understand how to interact with them and understand their world, I think it breaks down a lot of those barriers. And so I, I love how you're helping educate this new generation of contracting officers and helping industry understand their perspective. I, I think that's super important. And, you know, to me, you know, business is all about relationships, right? And so when people can understand how to build relationships with these people, I, I think it just makes everything better and more enjoyable. And hey, guess what? If you get to take the fear out of your job, uh, that's a pretty good thing, you know, in my opinion. So I, I think that's really awesome. So, you know, so kudos to you guys on doing that. And um, I appreciate that. And one of the really great feedback that I've gotten from our industry folks that listen, they said it, they, it helps them humanize the contracting officer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and that was it was his wording, not mine. And I was and I never thought of it that way. And it's the things you learn by podcasting. I'm just a big fan right, of podcasting right. because when you interact with your audience, you can learn things that you didn't realize you were doing. And so to be able to give both perspectives and because same same perspective as a contracting officer, there are things that I didn't know that I didn't know about industry. I mean, I didn't know what they were, how frustrated they were. I didn't know this <laughs> stuff wasn't easy for them. I didn't know I wasn't being clear. You know, all the things that I'm like, oh, whoops, <laughs> I didn't. I, looking back now, yeah. it's. It's amazing. So it's cool to be able to stitch both sides together. Yeah. And, you know, today we're going to be talking uh, about contracting officers and we're going to be talking about the three deciders here in a minute. But I really want to let you kind of start with their perspective, you know, because, again, I think people that are listening to this and people who follow our podcast, some of them are contracting officers. Some of them are industry. We have a little bit of both. But I'd love to hear your perspective on what you wish you knew, because you kind of alluded to that a little bit, what you wish you knew when you were a contracting officer. So one of the, the big things that jumps out to me is I, I wish I better understood how businesses operate. Uh, mm. Yeah, I had a business degree. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I'd read all the books of, of you know, how businesses grow. And yet I worked with businesses all the time. But to understand what it takes to, to target, how hard it is to target. I mean, it, it's the, one of the phrases that I got from another one of our community members talked about the idea of people go out of their way to justify not targeting. And my expectation as a contracting officer, it's like, well, of course, they're only going to bid on this one contract. Oh, no, they got to bid on all kinds of stuff. They got to, they got lots of responsibilities all over the place. So I'm not their only customer. And that expectation of, well, they're just going to be able to understand this and they're going to have the time to reach out to me. And, and I'm, I'm going to have the time to get to their email sometime in the next, you know, two weeks because I've got 500 emails I got to read, you know, the expectation of what industry understood. And I didn't realize just how little they really had access to. Uh, or and, and let, me, let me rephrase that. They may have had access, as in it's on FBO or it's on the far site or it's somewhere, but they don't have time to learn all of it. So the things that that I thought they understood w was surprising. I sit at a debriefing and somebody would you know ask a question about, well, I I know that you know that we can do that, but the fact that we didn't put it in our proposal, why did you ding us for it? And of course, what pops in my head is, well, that's what FAR Part 15 says to do. But he hasn't read FAR Part 15. He's a right. program manager, right? And those kind of moments. When I stack them up, I'm like, wow, there's so many things that if people really understood, it's not me being, you know, this, this like faceless entity that I'm like, I'm just trying to kick you out of the competition. It helped them understand. Here's why this clause is in here. Here's why I need to have a final proposal revision. Here's why I need you to actually respond to these evaluation notices. There's a process behind this. And once people understand that process, I think they're going to be better off. And so as a contracting officer, I wish I knew how little they knew and 
I wish I knew more about how, like, for example, the capture process works, how, what, what a color team review is. I didn't know any of that stuff when I was right. a contracting officer. And there's so many things that, that, that let's flip the coin, that the contracting officer doesn't realize that the industry doesn't know about that. And so I wish I had more open. I wish I had been, I, I don't understand how you're going to do this. So when you send the proposal, assume that I'm not a radio frequency engineer. I'm a business guy, a contracts guy. I have a, I have a management degree. I don't know this science stuff. <laughs> I'm oversimplifying. But there have been a couple of moments in when I was buying you know, engineering services or I was buying technology or R&D, and it was explained in such a way that like, unless you got a PhD, you couldn't track it. And I wish I had the time to explain to folks, you need to clarify to me how am I going to understand this? And so there's so much nuance to that nowadays that we never run out of content on the podcast because this topic's just fun to unpack. Yeah, no, it's it's a great topic, and you know that makes so much sense because you know there are, and we're going to talk about this when we get into three deciders a little bit more. There's so many people involved in the procurement process, and I think as industry, we just automatically assume that every single person in that process is over-educated even more than industry on what they're buying or what they're trying to buy or, or the RFPs or things like that. And I, I think we just miss the boat as industry sometimes on what this person knows. And again, I've done a several podcasts around the proposal process and writing clearer proposals and better proposals and just being able to answer a question that makes sense, you know, in doing it in a way that answers the question, it answers everything they said, um, that that's such a big deal, you know, and we were talking the other day, uh, it's gotta be super frustrating on, to be on the contracting officer side of this, where you're dealing with new companies all the time. And, you know, we often say it takes three to five years to really understand how to work with the government. And yet most companies fail within their first three to five years. So <laughs> if, if you look at that fact, you know, you've got, you know, these people cycling all the time because they can't figure it out and they're going out of business. And then there's, you know, new people coming in the cycle. So I, I can see that super frustrating uh, because you almost don't know that this is going on. When, when you're in that perspective. So, so kind of, kind of flipping the coin a little bit, you know, what do you wish industry knew about contracting officers? That they're not economists. Uh, I use that phrase because the, the thing here, here, and let me give you the example. So in 2009, I was a contracting officer and I was buying some equipment for special operations command and think about what was happening in the commercial market in 2009, which I was, you know, I was a government employee. I was insulated from it. My check didn't change as harsh as that sounds, but you know, I, my check didn't change just because the economy was imploding. But on the industry side, it was much more competitive. The government at the time was probably one of the, one of the biggest buyers, at the, the biggest buyer anyway. But they were the ones spending the most money because they had, we had Iraq and Afghanistan. We had the recession we're trying to recover from. All kinds of stuff's going on. The people were coming to the government market. I didn't – I did see that a little bit because you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of business. But most contracting officers, and I didn't see it to the degree that I should have, didn't understand that when somebody comes to compete for a government contract in 2009 – when they can hire people at a rate that what they'll take the work for versus 2016. Now that the economy has, you know, to some extent, we can debate whether how much it's recovered. But the fact is, you know, interest rates got raised. So things are, have recovered, right? There are more jobs in the commercial market. Those same rates, that same person is more valuable. Whether they provided a specific service or they built a product that now people are, are more people are buying, that whole process I, I'd never really thought of, right? So I don't think industry understands that government folks don't necessarily know because they're not impacted by the business cycle. 
And some of them do. I get that. But but understand that when somebody says, well, this is you know, this is this is something that costs more now in their mind, in my mind, I, I'm raising my hand. I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and call call out all government contracts people. But when I was in that seat, there were moments that I would look at this and go, well, this cost you know, $75 an hour last time. Why is it 120 now? Now, to you in industry, it was obvious. <laughs> it's because there's a lot more right. higher demand for it. It's, it's, it's demand and supply. But I didn't see that, right? So there's there's one area. Another thing is that they are, and this is probably not something new to the to industry, is that they're they're overwhelmed. Okay, we all know that, right? But what I mean by that is that their expectation. What I mean by it's not just overwhelmed with the work; it's the over overwhelmed with the expectation that they're not going to screw something up, and that is a paralyzing feeling. That when you know, no matter no matter which way I award this contract, someone will protest. <laughs> that right. makes you sit just a little longer and go, uh, well, let's let's look under one more rock, which takes another week. And let's look under one more, let's, let's ask for one more round of ENs, which takes two more weeks, which creates work for industry. I don't know how many times I did that where I was so, I was so, I, don't know, I wasn't paralyzed, but I was definitely slowed down by how fast I can award a contract because I know every decision divides. And every time I award a contract or every time I make a decision, in, whether it's setting it aside for a small business or a hub zone, I did a hub zone set aside once and somebody protested it because they're like, hub zones can't do that. And I'm like, there's like 50 hub zone companies that, that have websites that look like they can do this. And now I'm debating it. And so understand that they're, they're terrified of, and maybe terrified is a strong word. That's kind of, there were moments that I would, I would literally be like, okay, no matter which way I go with this, I'm going to get a fight with somebody. And that's not a good feeling. So from an industry perspective, understand that that might be why it's taking longer. They're overwhelmed, not just by, yes, there's, there's more work that needs to get done. Okay. That's every organization deals with that. But this idea of my decision is going to have ramifications. It's going to do things like, here's one. I had a colonel come back from Afghanistan. He did not come back to see me. He happened to just be in the building, but he actually took the time to walk down the hall and say, hey, what's up, what's up with, those, with those vehicles? That's a frustrating, I'm like, I, I, I can't make the source selection process go any faster. But in his mind, he's like, well, what's going on? See, that, that's an overwhelming feeling. And so compare that, industry deals with that too, because here comes a CEO and he says, hey, why, is, why have you won this work? I'm not saying that the feeling's not there. What I'm saying is that the urgency may feel different. The paralytic feeling behind that may be, well, if I award it to this company, this is going to happen. If I award it to this company, you know, this is going to happen. That, that might be what's slowing you down, as opposed to them just sitting there and you know, taking longer because they want to, which you, you see some of that comment on LinkedIn. I, I, I'm amazed at some of the comments people will make on social media about government employees. I'm like, okay. Every big organization's got 10% slackers. I get that. Go, go and I'm not going to you know, pick on some of the large companies you've heard of, but I mean, talk to any of your friends who work at large, multi-billion dollar companies, and they've all got stories of slackers too. <laughs> so yeah. every giant organization's got issues, right? So put aside that part and think about what if it's not that? What if it's the expectation of this government person, and it could be a program manager, it could be the person writing the evaluation. It's not even the CEO, it's somebody on the team who's saying, if I evaluate these folks honestly, and say, look, they can't do the work, but they had this history of protesting. How do I word this so that they're either less likely to protest or at least we can win it? That conversation, that's another couple of hours, could be an extra week, now the lawyer's involved. See, that's, those are the things that are going on in the background that I thought everybody just knew. You know, I thought people at all these large defense contractors knew this stuff happened. And after being out here now for five years, I realize how much they, they don't know that they don't know about the process. Yeah. And I, I think those are all really good points. And you know, what, what we typically see is industry is going through the same thing that small business is going through. When, when we talk about, um, let, let's talk about a large system integrator, you know, they are cycling through people 
just like small businesses are cycling through, you know, starting up, learning what to do, and then, you know, going away. And so you wind up with two or three people that really understand the procurement process, you know, front to back, like you were explaining, but then business development guys that are like, I don't know, I haven't heard from the contracting officer. I don't know why I haven't heard from him. I don't know what's going on. He must just be a terrible person. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, they, they don't grasp all of those things because, you know, especially when you're talking, you know, some people call it business development. Let's just call it sales for a moment. When, when you're in sales, uh, you know, you really are only as good as your last month, right? So yep. if, if you haven't closed enough contracts this month, then, you know, you're on the hot seat, you know, even if you sold way over your quota the next month. And so these folks are really focused on that. They're not necessarily focused on why isn't this working? What, you know, what are the, what are the issues behind the scene? How can I make this person's job easier? You know, and some of them know, Hey, you know, no matter what happens, let's just protest this if we lose, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and I mean, like, like that's, that's what they know, you know, and I've even seen companies where, um, some of our clients have said, we don't want to go after certain size work because, Hey, that's clearly on everybody's radar and we'll probably get protested. Let's just go after smaller stuff. <laughs> you know, let's go after stuff under $250,000 cause it's probably not going to get protested. Um, and so there, it just creates all of those challenges there that I don't think people really understand how that weighs on the contracting officer. And so it's just, it's really good to get that perspective of the contracting officer, what, uh, you know, kind of what's going on in their world and some of the challenges they have. So, so while we're talking about this, you had actually posted something on LinkedIn. It's kind of how we connected to talk about this today. It was this video on the three deciders. And I'd, I'd like for you to, to kind of walk through what those are for people and kind of break that down. Because I think that will really help a lot of both industry and, and uh, contracting officers listening today really grasp the process that's going on behind this. Sure. So the, the simplest way to think of this is you know, visualize a triangle. You've got three sides in the triangle. And I got this idea, full disclosure, uh, from, from Brian Burns, the, which is a, is a salesperson. It's a great podcast called The Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling. And he talks about the, the three deciders. And what he, what he, this is commercial sales. So let's put it in commercial and then I'll show you the difference. So in commercial sales, you have what they call the economic decider. That's the, the CEO, the, the, the CFO, the, the CIO, the person who is controlling the budget that says, yes, we're going to spend $100,000 to buy a new software, whatever. There's the customer, the person who needs the software, and then there's the transactor. And the transactor is usually procurement or it might be a lawyer if it's a complex deal, but it's the person who closes the deal. And, and the key thing to consider here, and you may recognize this from when you're bringing on your customers, that this is a – like our customers are commercial companies. So – when I closed the company out in California and they, I talked to the CEO, CEO loved it. The customer, i.e. the person that's going to use our support, loved it. And then they sent me to procurement and then procurement negotiates a deal. So, so procurement's the last person in the process. Now I'm oversimplifying it, but, and this doesn't apply to every company, but in a larger organization, this is, this is their process. So compare that to the government market where you still have an economic decider, you still have a customer and you still have a transactor, except those people are now called the economic decider is Congress, or it could be the acquisition executive or a program manager or a contracting officer's representative, but somebody who has a budget that they're responsible for. And then I call the, the customer on the, the government side, I call them the user, because in my, in my experience, the user is the person that needs the equipment. So in, in the DOD, I think it's, you know, it's the guy who's actually getting shot at. <laughs> he needs the stuff. That's the user, right? And then the transactor is the contracting officer. And the key difference here is that unlike on the commercial market where, where the, the economic decider and the customer will get together or they more often than not, they, they get together and say, this is what we want, go buy it. Doing that with the contracting officer not being involved is, is 
number one, can be very inefficient, or number two, can be dangerous because in the end they say, well, I can't award that to that company, or we have to compete this, and they didn't know it. Or, I mean, I've heard from several different people this idea of, oh, well, the deal was all slated until the contracting officer got involved. Hmm. Well, that's an indicator that we weren't aware of all three sides of the triangle. So that's why I made that video that I put on, on YouTube is help people understand this. So the way this works is the, the beauty of it, it's not that all three sides of the triangle are equal all the time. And so during the, for example, the micro purchase, which is a, a purchase made under $3,500 by a, a government employee, doesn't even have to be a contracting officer. So in this case, let's say the user walks into Staples and buys you know, paper or buys office equipment. They have a, a government credit card. That transaction happens without the contracting officer's involvement at all, other than the fact that they may go look, uh, you know, look over what they spent to make sure they're, you know, they're not buying you know, alcohol or you know, all the things they're not supposed to buy. But other than that, this, ha this transaction happens without the CEO's involvement. Now move up a notch, and we can move up to the simplified acquisition procedures, and now, for the most part, the marketing is done by the companies to say, hey, we're three, three small businesses that can do this because these are all set aside for small businesses, right? And the user says, I like this one. The contracting officer says, okay, out of these three, they are the best suited. They have the most experience. I can award a contract up to $7 million to them. And the contracting officer is involved and they're the decider, but they're not the biggest influencer in all cases there because the user is going to say, yes, I want this one. Here's why. And that's going to get documented in the file, et cetera. Now move up to the large, what, what I like to refer to as the complex sale. We put it in sales lingo. The complex sale is like Far Park 15, from $3,500 up to 150,000 or up to 7 million for commercial uh, acquisitions is the simplified acquisition threshold, right? Above that, then we get into the, the larger acquisitions that make it the Far Park 15, et cetera. Now it gets even more fun because those three deciders, they're all involved, but they're involved at different amounts at different times. So for example, during the what we call the, the the market research zone, which is before the RFPs come out, like you should know the things you're targeting. You know the contract is expiring. You know the government has a need for this. At that point, the user, their side of that triangle is longer than the contracting officer and probably the economic decider because they're the ones who are going to trade shows. They're looking on the internet. They're researching products. They're, they're talking to the incumbent, saying, "How do we get more of this better?" And you know, I, this is this is what I want. I want to have some influence on what we buy. And then you move to the RFP zone, and the RFP is actually out, and now everybody's got to talk to the contracting officer, right? Which is a whole other conversation as to why that is. But now the contracting officer's length, their side of the triangle is very long. And, and in this case, the economic decider, they're probably, they may be there, but for the most part, they've already allocated the money. They said, here's $5 million, go buy this product. And then the source selection process starts, and they're just waiting for an output. That's what they care about. So their side of the triangle is pretty short. So during the RFP, it's relatively short. And then during the source selection, the contracting officer and the user are involved because the user is evaluating. And the contracting officer is documenting and justifying and explaining and, and then deciding, if assuming they're the source selection authority. So you understand those three people, and they, you know, again, they're people. They may be entities. Let's say it's, you know, it may be more than one program manager. It might be a team of evaluators. But you get the idea. These three sides of the triangle, the economic decider, the user, and the contracting officer, all have a vote. And your awareness of how long their side of the triangle is at this point in time is key to whether or not you're going to win or you're just going to spin your wheels. And here's a, a really glaring example. RFP comes out and it's a small business set aside. Or it's, how about this? It's a hub zone set aside and you think it should be a, a veteran-owned small business set aside. That, and so now you, you, you could even protest that, right? Or what you're more likely to do is to, is to call the government and say, well, you know, why didn't you set this aside for, for uh, veteran-owned businesses or whatever, whatever niche you're in, right? 
Well, at that stage, that could be changed, but realistically, that decision was made during the market research phase. It's a little late to have that debate. So not many government folks are going to be like, oh, yeah, let's change our whole acquisition strategy in the middle of the RFP because that creates all kinds of work for lots of people. And they've actually gone through this process already. So understanding where you are in this timeline is huge. And, and so that's why we use the three deciders is people understand which one of these three deciders should I be talking to now? Because if you have something that the government's never bought and you want to get people to use it, contracting officer is not the one you want to talk to. Because mm. until somebody decides to buy it, until there's an economic decider to fund it, until there's a user that wants it, the contracting officer is not going to spend the time to research it. They're not going to spend the time to develop an acquisition strategy for it. And so let me, let me show you how – the last thing I'll say is I'll show you the, the, how this triangle works ineffectively. So you have the economic decider, the user, and the CO. So if the economic decider and the user get together, you have somebody with a lot of money and somebody with a need but no way to buy it. If the user and the contracting officer get together, you have somebody with a really, really big need and they want something and you have somebody who knows how to go get that something but you don't need money to buy anything. And then likewise, the last example is if you have the economic decider and the contracting officer, they get together, you have somebody who's got money and you got somebody who knows how to buy things but they buy the wrong thing because they haven't talked to the user. So all three of these players are very in important to making sure that, that we, we as contracting professionals do what a contract is supposed to do, which is take somebody who wants something and connect them with somebody who needs it. That's the purpose of a contract, right? And so but between those two extremes sits the CO in this scenario. Yeah, I, like that. I, I, I love that. You know, and I, I think it it really simplifies for, again, the salesperson, business development people, even the CEOs of these companies, to if they really understood that, they would really understand how to work with their clients better. You know, I, I again, I, I think most companies approach an organization and say, who's the decision maker? And that is the question. And it, it's not coming from a perspective of who's the funding authority or who's the user, or who's the contracting officer. It's who's the guy or the gal that pulls the trigger on this thing. And they don't necessarily think about all three of those pieces of the triangle working together to make that happen. They're just looking for one person in the process to pull the trigger and make it happen. And then I think it makes it easy for industry to get mad at the contracting officer when they say, well, look, the user wants this. Or, hey, yep. you know, I've talked to the, you know, the commanding whatever. He wants this to happen. And, you know, they talk to some of those people and it's very easy for them to get mad at the contracting officer when the contracting officer is saying, well, I, yeah, the commanding general says he wants it, but I have no users or, or, you know, or whatever you're like, we don't have any money for this. And, and so I, I just think it's really important for people to kind of go back and listen to that a couple of times to grasp the power of understanding that triangle and who's involved because you really do want to get all the players involved, not just one champion. I, I, I'm a huge fan of that strategy. You know, you get one champion involved. Now they've got to do all the work, which, you know, if they're, you know, super influential, then it can happen easily. But, you know, it, it'd be better to get on, on board with all three and be working with all three than try to just, you know, shove it down somebody's throat, you know, brute force uh, through through one of those pieces. So I, I really like the way you break that down. I think 
it makes it super, super simple. So I, I, I don't want to get off the podcast today without you talking a little bit about your podcast. So uh, I'd love to hear, um, you know, and again, you alluded to this in the beginning, but I'd love to, for you to kind of break down, you know, why did you start Skyway and the, the Contracting Officer podcast? Sure. So I started Skyway specifically to help companies understand the government perspective from the CEO side, right? And so the idea was, like I talked about before, is that people don't know what they don't know. And I realized that I would spend a lot of time speaking at events and talking to people and just, you know, one-on-one. And then along comes this concept of a podcast. And, and it's a funny story because I typed into Google contracting officer podcast and nothing came up. And there are two types of entrepreneurs, ones that say, well, nobody's looking for it. So nobody cares. And then there's the type that go, well, crap, nobody's done it yet. Well, I'm in that camp, right? So two and a half years later, now we have 117 episodes. And the idea is that over time, it, it, people have caught on to this concept of, well, the CEO's perspective, based on this triangle, kind of simplifies to help you understand it. The CEO's perspective does matter. And my perspective is that the more you understand how much the CEO's point of view counts, the better off you are. And so the reason we created the podcast was to give both sides of the story, not only the CEO perspective from the government side, but also from the industry side. In fact, we actually, Paul and I figured this out after like 20 episodes or so. We have a little mantra that goes through. We talk about why some we'll pick a topic, you know, like a, a competitive range termination and then talk about why did, why it's important, why it matters. And then why does government care about it? And then why does industry care about it? And that the beauty of that, which again, I, you, you try stuff and see what works, but listening to our audience, what they love about that is because not, not only the people who are in government who say, hey, I didn't know that the industry would see it that way, but even people who have been in both and say, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. Now I'm able to explain this to people who are struggling with understanding it. And now it's easy to say, listen to this podcast because these are the things that I spent. I probably answered these questions like a thousand times and now I can just answer them once and help, you know, thousands of people. And the same thing you're doing with your podcast is like this is information that people just need and it's so much easier to, to share it and <laughs> give it away for free. And then when they need our help beyond that, they'll call us. Right. And so that's what's really fun about the podcast is it, it's amazing to me how many different people have have asked for topics and and how they've been able to say my favorite story was I had a, a, a government contracts person call me in I think episode I think it's like episodes eight and nine are about uh, the protest. Like how, how I managed to screw up uh, the debriefing and end up getting a protest, right? So I tell a couple of stories and then I get an email from a, from a government contracts person, who, from a contracting officer, and he said, wow, that was really helpful because I used that same strategy and didn't do what you did and sure enough, <laughs> he didn't protest. <laughs> and so I'm able to just share these stories and help more people. And, and again, our, our mission from the podcast is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. And that's what... It's, it's amazing how much fun it's become because we will never run out of topics to help people with, particularly since they keep, you know, email and asking. Yeah, them, so. no, that's super important. And, and people are loving podcasts these days. You know, I, I remember uh, probably about five, six years ago, podcasts were dead. And, you know, it was one of those things that had been super popular uh, to come on. But the technology was really lagging about six years ago. So it was very difficult to do them and people couldn't really listen to them easily. So the podcast actually died and went away. And then um, 
right around the same time, technology started getting better and better and better and better. And so now podcasts are more popular than they were six, seven years ago, <laughs> you know, and so it, it is had a huge resurgence and um, it's one of the number one ways people consume stuff. And so we, we really love doing the podcast for people. I, like I said, I think it really helps a lot of folks. They can easily listen, uh, whether it's on their computer or their phone or anything like that. And, and that's super important. So, so, you know, you talked about the podcast a little bit. Real quick, what else does Skyway do so that if somebody uh, is on here, they, they like the podcast, you know, and they needed your service, what else does Skyway do? How do you, how do you actually help you know, your clients in addition to the podcasting stuff? Well, there, there are two things we do. We have a, a, an online community. It's called the Skyway Community, and it's, it's not a billboard of content. It's a community. So people ask for webinars, and we create them. They ask for – we have an Ask a Contracting Officer forum, which they, you post a question, and you get an answer from up to eight former contracting officers. I mean, my background is SOCOM and Air Force, and we have people who work for the Army. We have uh, Vicky, who's worked, Vicky Veter, who worked for the, the uh, VA, and, and also a couple of civilian agencies like the Forest Service. You know, it just, it gives small companies, even, even large companies now, it gives them the perspective of a multitude of former COs to, so they can make better decisions. And that's really, and of course, on top of that, we have proposal management and we, and we, one of our specialties now that that has grown to be more popular is our contract management support, meaning that you got this contract, let's make sure you don't screw it up. Or, you know, this, this funding line changed. How do I can, how do I explain the impact to me, to the government? So they understand that making this change costs me a half a million dollars. As a contracting officer, I had no context to that. And then when somebody just emails me and says, you're costing me money, that's not really going to move the needle with me. Right. Right. So helping them relate to their government customer. And so it's the combination of the community content as well as the straight consulting services that we provide. And the, you know, over, I, I love what we do. You hear me getting excited because I love it. It helps people understand this market. They're more successful. And, and it's really a, it's a relationship model where as a community member, you're getting this content. You're, you have access to us. You're able to call up a former contracting officer on you know, basically when you need them, right? And the old model, which was we were just a straight consulting firm for the first three years, it was expensive. It was painful. It, it wasn't as effective. And now we're able to get – this is the biggest thing for me is that you don't know what you don't know, right? So when you have a relationship with us before you need us, that's what the community allows for. You can be a community member for 300 bucks a year. <laughs> it's not a huge investment, but then you have us the ability to call us. And that concept is, is it, it gets me out of bed in the morning because it's so cool to be able to have a small company in, you know, like Oklahoma that says, this is my problem. And in 15 minutes, we can keep them from taking a, a left turn that's going to cost them dearly over the next 10 years. That's it's, it's super fun. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's, you know, one of the reasons we created some of our stuff as well. And so I, I love the concept. Uh, I think it's going to be super popular over the next few years and, uh, you know, wish you guys a, a ton of success with it. And, you know, this has all been really great stuff today. And I hope to have you back on in the near future and talk more about contracting officers. I think it's very insightful for our listeners. Awesome. Well, thanks for the thanks for the invite. And just as a as a as a freebie, just because I love to to help people. If any folks are listening to this and you're trying to decide if the government market is right for you or not, uh, one of the things I like to do is email me at Kevin at SkywayAcquisition.com and I'll give you a free copy of my book. You can buy it on Amazon if you want, but it's called Save Your Time: Why the Government Market May or May Not Be for You. And there's so many things that, and it's not how to do it. It's not, you know, I know you guys have your federal access and that's a lot of content on how to do this market. Like if you're interested in the market, the federal access makes sense for you. But if you haven't decided, it's a hundred page book. 
I wrote it because I wanted people to be able to pick it up in LA. And by the time they landed in New York, they go, wow, this is not for me. <laughs> or they go, yeah, I want this. And that's that, because that, that was one of the problems I saw too. So email me, I'll send you a PDF of it. And then, and, and, and you can really see, yeah, I need to double down on this or I go, wow, I'm never going to figure it out. And those three to five years that you talked about, I'm just going to struggle. And we, we don't want companies to struggle. We want them to thrive. So if I can help with that, then rock and roll. Yeah, no, and I think that's perfect because it's funny you even mentioned that because when a lot of clients reach out to us the first time, I always tell them my number one objective, if you're brand new to the government, is to help you decide whether you should be doing this or not. <laughs> that, yeah. that is that is literally the first thing that I want to do is be able to tell them, yes, you should pursue this market or no, you shouldn't. Because if you're not equipped to do it and you're not prepared to do what you need to do, this is going to be a slow, long, painful, horrible road, um, and you should just avoid it at all costs, you know. And then there's people who, you know, you go through and say, hey, you know, the government does buy what you sell, and hey, this does make sense, and hey, you are positioned for this. Hey, let's rock and roll. And I, I think that decision needs to be made by more people instead of people coming in and saying, well, we're going to try government, and we're going to see what happens, because I think that's why a lot of people fail. They try it without going through a book like you're saying here and really understanding what they're getting into. So I, I encourage anybody who's listening, uh, you know, email Kevin and uh, we'll actually have his email address on our website. So you can just click on his email uh, and go there and ask him for a free copy of the book. I think that would be super, super helpful. So th thanks again, Kevin. I really, really appreciate it. I also want to take a minute to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And as I said earlier, we're actually going to have uh, Kevin's email address, his, uh, a link to his LinkedIn profile, that kind of stuff right on the website at rsmfederal.com forward slash game changers. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.